Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war I recently had the pleasure of spending a couple of glorious days up in the, well, what we say here in Arizona, up north, which is kind of towards the Flagstaff area. So high desert, cooler temperatures, especially this time of year, gorgeous scenery, fresh mountain air. And more importantly than that, more importantly than the surroundings and the kind of atmosphere, was the people that I was with and did a nice little girls weekend away. Uh, One of my besties has a cabin and we just planned for a nice little girls sort of weekend getaway. Kind of number one, shake off all of the stresses of, you know, life as we all face day to day, whether that be motherhood or working or the crazy upside downness that we kind of step out into every day and just get together and hang out and eat good food and talk and laugh and have all of those lovely things that are so important now. They've always been important, but for me, they share, or they kind of carry with it this bigger place in my heart and they pack so much more significance, I think, than they ever had, especially when you get to have people in your life that not just share your same viewpoints. I think that's important. And right now I find that specifically in my life. I find the most connection in people that are aware of what's happening in the world and that are working to, whether that be fight it or whether that be not participating, meaning sort of like break themselves out of the systems that we've been sort of enslaved and entrenched in, but also kind of being around women or people that are working on themselves and sort of striving to break old patterns and habits and think differently about themselves and just be the best version of themselves all the time and acknowledge how challenging that is, how much work it takes, that it's not an overnight process, that there's going to be some sort of hiccups along the way, but ultimately that is the goal. And that's where we want to be as women and as, you know, moms and some of us are wives and, um, you know, it's just that, that beautiful evolution that I think a lot of people are sort of stepping into in this time. And being on the patio at this beautiful A-frame with the sunshine and the fresh mountain air, and we got sprinkled on a couple of times it sparked just sort of this atmosphere of open dialogue and 
some of us that were up there had never met before. And so there were some stories to be told that people had never heard before, maybe sharing about ourselves, our pasts, maybe how we got to this point of sort of seeing the veil kind of being lifted and what that has meant to all of us. And that's really what I want to talk about on today's show. I want to give a few examples of how we can kind of correct course. And I'm going to share a really important story and she knows I'm going to share this story. And it is important to me because, well, number one, I'm so proud. I'm so proud to have this woman in my life and by my side. And as a friend, we've known each other for over 15 years And when you watch someone's evolution and they already start out as this incredible, incredible human, and then you literally watch sort of them come out of this cocoon and spread their beautiful wings and become this different version of beautiful this more enhanced version of beautiful and the way that they carry themselves and some of the decisions that they've made and the confidence that they walk in is absolutely stunning. And sparking from sort of her kind of talking about where she came from and the choices that she had sort of made along the way with parenting versus some of the choices that she's making now and life decisions and things of that nature. It segued into another conversation, which I really will pick up more so on the second half of the show and we'll kind of get there, but it's all going to tie together. But I really want to spend the first half of this show highlighting the beauty in people that have the capability of having friends with different viewpoints, taking in those viewpoints, sort of educating themselves, not necessarily having regrets for their previous decisions, but literally becoming the embodiment of that sort of, I mean, even though it's a cliche saying of no better, do better, but having enough I guess, courage and I guess, acknowledgement and recognition and decisiveness to just say, okay, I did that before. I wasn't as informed as I should have been. I have informed myself. I have made different decisions. And this is, this is how I am moving forward. And I think that for so many of us, we get into these ruts and we get into these patterns of doing things just because this is the way that we've always done them. Or, well, somebody said I should do it this way, and so this is how I'm going to do that. And when we decide to step in sort of to the power that God has given us, and when we tap into our instincts and our autonomy, and when we fully embrace you know, as a woman, when we fully embrace sort of motherhood and what it means to be kind of in our feminine power, the difference that that ultimately can make. So I wanted to shine a huge spotlight on one of my best friends on this planet. And she's an incredible human being. And I, like I said, I've known her for about 15 years. And what I really want to kind of look at are 
some changes in the evolution that she has had over primarily being a mother and what that has sort of looked like for her and her family unit. And she has four children, the old of which is 16, and the youngest, who is just over a year old. So a 16-year age gap, or I guess a 15-year age gap, is a lot. It is over a decade. I mean, she's certainly not the same same mother that she was when she had her oldest child, let alone, you know, who she is as a wife and as a friend and all of those sort of natural evolutionary things that you go through. But what is fascinating and what I love about kind of watching her like blossom and bloom is that over the course of this time, our friendship has deepened, it has strengthened, it has always been one built on, you know, honesty and trust and candidness and loving somebody for who they are, no false pretenses, open dialogue, differences of opinion. And for the majority of our friendship, we had we had things in our life that were very different. We had different maybe um, philosophies or religious philosophies. And when I say different, I just mean maybe structured or um, how we were raised, which kind of shaped and molded our viewpoints. Um, I did things when I had my son that were different from how she had done things with her first two children. And through that time... There was always this lovely sort of cadence of a back and forth, this dance of sharing ideas and comments and perspectives and question asking and sort of sharing of information. And well, how did you get here? And okay, I, li- I like that. Tell me more about this. Or what does this mean to you? And in that process, we have really we've really grown. We've really grown up kind of in our friendship into what I kind of look at is like, you know, these like young nurses, we were both young nurses, we were young moms together. And now we have both really matured individually, but we've also matured in this, in this friendship together. And one thing that I will tell you is different in her parenting with, or her decision-making, because not necessarily her parenting, but some decisions that she's made is of course, she knows that I chose not to vaccinate my son. And that was always a very open conversation that we had. And I think like a lot of us through maybe COVID or even before, because she will wholeheartedly admit that, you know, she had some of those instinctual things happen. And I think a lot of us, especially when we are first-time parents, and hang on to that thought. So first-time parents, because that's really going to segue into the second half of the show and and what I want to talk about. But as first-time parents, we get so nervous. We've never done this before. Sure, we have our natural instincts and, and we've birthed this baby and we've probably breastfed this baby and we're trying to respond to cries and cues and you know we're checking for wet diapers and we're making sure they're gaining weight all of these things plus we're tired we're exhausted 
maybe we're working, you know, all, all the things. If you've been a parent, you know what I'm talking about. So she, she will tell you, you know, like I had these kind of instincts about vaccines, but you know, you go to your pediatrician and this is just sort of like what you do. And there's a fear factor that comes into play. And I even had this in making the decisions that I had. You, you want to do what is best for your child. You want to. And that want and that desire is sometimes clouded with, you know, maybe some external noise. And I think that that goes for people that choose to vaccinate and for people that choose to not vaccinate. You're sort of always trying to just stay on the straight and narrow of, did I make the best decision with what I've known, with my education, with my instincts, with what I've chosen to do, and maybe even with some open constructive dialogue from friends, family members, maybe even the medical community. But certainly through COVID and kind of having what I would say for her is this sort of kind of real, I can't believe what's happening as it was for a lot of us, but vaccines definitely came into her purview a lot more and sort of having those feelings of this is, this is totally unacceptable. And I actually should backtrack a little bit because I think she started to have that even before COVID because I know that with her third child, his vaccines are even less. So it kind of like whittled down, right? Her oldest, her second, her third, and now we're on to baby number four. So that one aspect, right? We always had those conversations. We had that dialogue. It was open. She was open to receiving information. And more importantly than that, she was willing and committed to doing the work. She dove in. She read what she wanted to read. She started looking into, you know, all of those all of those rumors and all of the things that people were saying about the diseases themselves. Well, oh, is your is your kid really going to die if they get this? Or is it possible that there are links to all of these other diseases from vaccines? So looking at it from both sides. The other thing that is very, very fascinating is that with this fourth baby, and if you have been a pregnant woman, you all know about the glucose tolerance test that you have to take or that they tell you they have to take. So they send you down to the lab, you know, and you drink this disgusting drink, which here's what's really interesting and, and kind of this like sharing of information, if you will, right? So I have the boy that's completely unvaccinated and that wasn't necessarily her path in the very beginning. It is now. But then with her fourth baby, she was sort of ahead of the curve on the glucose tolerance test where that's something that I participated in. I had never even given that a second thought. I had never looked into that drink. I was like, well, you know, thinking to myself, like, yeah, they're going to give this to you to check your blood sugar, yada, yada. And by baby number four with her, she's like, no, I'm literally questioning everything. I don't think I have to drink that. And lo and behold, she talked to some people. She talked to some very educated, you know, she, she ended up going with a midwife, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes. But, you know, there are other things that you can eat that aren't full of chemicals, that aren't full of dyes, that have the same effect on your blood sugar to help indicate whether or not you have gestational diabetes. 
So she's in this like beautiful evolution of questioning the things and, and in the most graceful way for herself, right? There's no punishment about the things she didn't know before. There is no kind of, you know, like I said earlier, I think maybe regret's not the right word because I think we all have things in our lives that we technically regret, but she just is on this, like, I want to learn. I want to do what's best. And I am totally okay with doing things differently than I had done before because I see things differently. I've learned new things. I look at things through a different perspective and I am assuredly more confident to stand in that maybe than I was before because I've armed myself with knowledge. So she goes through her, you know, this fourth pregnancy, no glucose tolerance test. Also with her other pregnancies, she had preeclampsia, or so they said, right? We all know about white coat hypertension. If you don't know about white coat hypertension, let me tell you what that is. That is when you walk into the doctor's office and they call it white coat hypertension because your doctor or your nurse practitioner or whomever's coming in has that white lab coat on and you sit on the edge of the bed and you put your arm out and they wrap the blood pressure cuff around and you're nervous because it's sort of like a performance. You know, like you want to ace the test. You want to do really good. And in that process of sort of wanting to ace the test, you're like, oh my gosh, what is it going to be? I can't believe it. I'm so nervous. I'm at the doctor. Maybe you're here because you're getting something checked out and you're nervous about that. And you have elevated blood pressure. Is that your norm? Probably not. <laughs> but you're in this kind of acute state of anxiety or nervousness that may demonstrate that your blood pressure is elevated. Now, I can only tell you that I would have to make a slight assumption that some of that happens when we're pregnant. We are learning our bodies as we go. We are, again, trying to do what is best for our bodies and, of course, for that beautiful baby that we're growing. We have all of this external noise coming at us about don't eat tuna fish, don't eat lunch meat, don't drink raw milk, um, you know, all of this stuff. Don't don't leave your house if you're past 32 weeks pregnant. Don't lift this. Don't do that. Like all of this noise that puts us into this box and makes us feel like we are a medical condition and a problem instead of a human being, a female doing exactly what we were intended to do, which is to grow life. This is one of our biggest purposes on this planet is to be the grower and the creator and the birther of, of, of babies. It's our, it's our body's normal, natural function. So as she goes through these, you know, three pregnancies with these, you know, high blood pressures and in and out of the hospital, and she ended up having her first three children in the hospital medicated childbirths. So epidurals, as the majority of people do, thanks be to God, healthy babies, healthy mama, go home. You know, you're in, you're in the game, right? You're back to it. Again, baby number four comes along. We're eyes wide open. We're doing things differently. And now she knows that I had an unmedicated childbirth. Granted, it 
was in the hospital, but I, I had a doula and I did not have an epidural. And she kind of knows my birth story and just how like you can do it. Like me, like cheerleading, you know, for her, I unfortunately wasn't there when she gave birth, but I was kind of getting kept up to date minute by minute. And, you know, I almost am like, she had this gorgeous, lovely home birth with a midwife after having had three babies in a hospital being told she was preeclamptic and, you know, being strapped down to her bed because she had an epidural. Like, think, think about that for a minute. Think about the mental strength and fortitude of somebody to literally do a 180 and accomplish something that we know we can accomplish naturally with our mind power surrounded by friends and family or whomever we want around us with the medical type of you know, hands that we want. And when I say that, I mean a midwife or a doula, or in some cases, a lot of women now are having, I don't know if they're calling them not, I think they're calling them like non-assisted. So meaning it's just husband and wife sitting there giving birth, right? Or maybe if they have other children, like the other children are around. But this is no small feat. And this, in my opinion, deserves big rounds of applause because you have taken all of your power back. You have literally walked the walk, talked the talk of, I am not going to submit myself to this system in which I participated before and again, that was okay. Like she did what she knew. She participated in what she felt like you kind of quote unquote had to. And she removed herself from that system. And by doing so, she stepped fully into her feminine and into her body and took complete ownership of this past fourth pregnancy, fourth labor, and fourth delivery in commanding fashion, mind you, like an absolute rock star warrior human being with her husband in the room, with her oldest daughter filming, doula at her side. Just an absolutely remarkable transformation, in my opinion. <laughs> and the beauty of that and the example that that sets. Not only just for, you know, I'm done having kids, but my goodness. Like, I look at her and I'm like, um, pedestal. Hero status. Absolute champion. And I know that other women look at her in the same way as they should. And as really all women should, and I'm not taking anything away from women that choose to go to the hospital or that choose to have an epidural. I'm not taking anything away from them. 
But what I do want to talk about in the second half of the show, I think this is the perfect time to segue, is are we fully choosing the experience that we want when we are pregnant and when we have babies and sitting around this cabin this weekend, we sort of had these like aha moments of, you know, I've talked so much on this show about how our medical system is so corrupt and so broken. And we, we all were kind of sitting there and we were like, well, we as the people can't step out of it because we were literally born into it. We were born into a system that was so broken and this is where, you know, the, it's the first domino in a series of dominoes. So I'm going to elaborate on that. So marinate on that for just a second while we cut to break, hear from our absolutely incredible sponsors. And when we come back, we're, we're really going to touch on, you know, the kind of being born into this, this broken system and, and how we can kind of pluck ourselves out of it. I'm Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time and this is world. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The pandemic may be over for some but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today 
and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back. Welcome back. If you're just joining me, thank you. Happy to have you. I quickly, in the first half of the show, was just talking about um, my incredible best friend. She's just a star. And how she is a shining example of if you don't like the system that you're in, how you educate yourself, how you uh, empower yourself, and how you can sort of step out. And that is directly related to um, pregnancy, labor, and delivery. And we were all together this weekend and we were having these incredibly, you know, um, vulnerable conversations and thought-provoking conversations about our medical system and how it's so broken and how, you know, these doctors and nurses, what, what really is their role and what is their function nowadays? And it got us all really talking about like, it's no wonder we are such slaves to this system and to this idea of, I have to go to the doctor to fix me when something is broken. I have to go to the hospital. I have to do all of this because we are literally born into it. The gaslighting and manipulation and the kind of chains get put on starting starts when a woman becomes pregnant. The system treats pregnant women as though they are sick, as though they have a medical condition, as though they are somehow broken and they wouldn't otherwise survive or know what to do or be able to bring this baby into the world without these medical interventions and without the hospital and you know without all of the things that they do to us under the guise of doing it for us so again in you know, this kind of sitting around this weekend and all of us kind of sharing little bits about our stories and um, our backgrounds and her pendulum swung and she literally did a 180 on her pregnancy experience, how she wanted that to look for herself, how she wanted her labor to do, to feel and how she wanted her delivery, and she accomplished that. And having a baby at home, you know, she she was like a completely different woman. You know, she's up, she's nursing right away, 
Her other children were there. She was in her own bed. She was eating. She was drinking. She was comfortable. Her husband was there. I mean, you just talk about an absolutely loving environment, comfortable. She was in her own sanctuary, the calm, the peace, the quiet, the her ability to guide and dictate that entire process. Then even her husband, I talked to him, you know, the morning after she had the baby and he's like, uh, Beth, you, you wouldn't even believe it. Like, I can't even believe the difference in her, like her energy level, the way that her face looks, like just her overall physical presence is different than when she had our other three babies in the hospital. And bless his heart, he said to me, um, you know, like uh, along the lines of like, had I known that this is what it would be like, we would have never had any of our kids in the hospital. And I think that is huge coming from a man, coming from somebody who probably, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in his mouth and I don't want to make assumptions, but I think, I think there is a little bit of sort of like uncertainty on this husband's part, right? Like we've carried the baby, we're, we're laboring, we're in pain. That's got to be uncomfortable for them to see. They love us. They, you know, they're, they're kind of like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Where do I go? Where do I stand? How am I participating in this? Especially if it's a first time, right? And for him to vocalize that is another sort of like huge testament to the power of allowing yourself to go through the process that we were created to go through naturally. So in these conversations, she then shared two stories. And they're perfect examples of sort of this broken system kind of latching itself onto us from pregnancy. I'm going to give you the two I'm going to give you the two scenarios here. So scenario A, which is a good friend of hers, um pregnant via in vitro. Okay? So pregnant via in vitro, baby is good, baby is growing, baby is thriving. The notion gets planted in this mom's head that because this was an in vitro conception or pregnancy, that this baby is somehow at high risk, that the mom is at high risk. Now, I never did L&D, I never worked mom baby, but in my 15 years of nursing and in my time of being friends with women from pregnancies of all types, I'd never heard that. And that could be ignorance on my part. So if that is a thing, I'd like to be, I'd like to stand corrected. Right. But I've, I've never heard that. And I can't, I guess I can't like conceptualize why just because it's in vitro, does that put you at high risk if everything is looking normal through your pregnancy? Right. If you are, you know, baby's looking normal, you've had ultrasounds, they look normal. Heartbeat is good. Mom's gaining weight. Like all the regular things about a pregnancy, it just so happens that the baby was fertilized and then implanted. So we had normal implantation. So again, if I'm wrong, correct me. But I don't, I, I can't make that, I can't make that connection. So you, you now have this mom 
who already struggled to get pregnant, right, is already feeling probably, you know, not great about that whole situation. In vitro is challenging. Infertility is incredibly challenging. It's emotional. It's frustrating. And so now you've put mom on kind of like high alert, heightened, like, oh gosh, now I'm at high risk. Told, you know, don't, don't go too far from the hospital. Because, and, and now this is also baby number one. So we know kind of those stories of like baby number one, you're probably going to labor for a long time. You know, pushing might take you a little while. It's baby number one. Like they don't come right away. They don't just fly out like babies two, three, and four, right? So now they've got this mom worried. Okay, I'm high risk. I can't go anywhere. I can't be around like friends and family. Like I just kind of have to like hunker down. So you're now like isolating yourself. And she wasn't ever really educated. Here's the other thing that I think is so, so kind of frustrating about this whole process is that for all the things that the doctors want to tell us about, you know, being high risk or don't do this, don't do that. There's real no education about, you know, the things about our bodies that we don't know. If you've never been pregnant before, you're not going to know what a Braxton Hick feels like. You're not going to certainly know what a contraction feels like. Sure, we've had maybe menstrual cramps or you've had, you know, gas pains or when you need to have a bowel movement, like there might be some cramping. But, you know, your your doctor should work to educate you. The staff should work to educate you. There's none of that. Nobody talks to you about that. Maybe you take a, an outside birthing class, but otherwise there's real no, there's no real conversation even leading up to your labor. And I was, you know, I was a nurse when I gave birth and I learned more from my doula who I met with once every three to four weeks to sort of, sort of start preparing mentally and physically for having natural childbirth. I learned more from her than I ever learned in nursing school. And again, I never worked L&D, but I, I, I just think to myself like, and I had an OB and my OB didn't teach me any of that. Like there was no education happening. I was sort of left to my own devices. Yet within the confines of that system. The so same with this mom. So here's kind of the long story short about her. She has a relatively uneventful pregnancy despite it being in vitro. Things are going great. Baby's good. Mom is good. However, we've now put, you know, this fear in her that she can't do anything, go anywhere because if she goes into labor, baby's going to come flying out of her and, you know, all, all things. So she starts to have, you know, maybe some Braxton Hicks, maybe just some baby moving a little bit. Um, oh, they also told her don't get in the water. You know, it's 105 degrees here in Arizona and you're pregnant. So you're carrying around extra weight. And her doctor says, don't get in the water because we're afraid that baby's going to flip and go breach. It, it, like it's insanity to me. It makes me want to scream. I'm holding back the screams right now. So she goes into the her doctor's office thinking, okay, I'm having like a little bit of contractions. I think I might be in labor. And when she gets there, they check her and her blood pressure is a little high. 
Well, we all know what that means. God forbid you have, you know, a little bit of a high blood pressure because your nervous is all get out because your body's going through something that it's never gone through before and nobody has educated you about it. Oh, what do they do? They send her over to the hospital. Now, mind you, she's not actually in labor. She's not in labor. She was having some Braxton Hicks, but her blood pressure was high. So she's now being admitted for high blood pressure, not in labor. They decide to keep her. I think you probably know where this story is going. If you have any ability to connect the dots, I think you know where the story is going. So now the hospital has this woman who's not in labor, but she has high blood pressure. Well, she's probably close enough. Let's just get this labor going. Why wouldn't we? So we're going to give her some Cervidil to help her dilate. We're going to put her on some Pitocin to help get things going, even though she's not in labor. And then the Pitocin makes your contractions go into freaking overdrive. You're like zero to 60, no natural progression, just full pedal to the metal. So she gets an epidural. So now she's on her back. So the system scared this woman, <laughs> kept this woman from, you know, participating in family events going out and doing things and then kicked off the first domino of, Oh, we're going to send you to the hospital. Oh, we're going to shove some cervidil in your vagina. Oh, we're going to put some Pitocin in you. Oh, we're going to put an epidural in your back. And now you're laying in bed when you weren't in labor. So we have now just eliminated all things that would potentially help in a situation like that. She's not on her feet. She's not on her hands and knees. She's not letting gravity do any of the work. She now is being told she can't eat and drink because, oh, you know, well, you're, you've got all these drugs going in you now and you've got this epidural and you're on your back, like an absolute perfect storm. So my best friend is texting me this. In the morning, going, oh, you're never going to believe it. They've just done this, 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 and this. What time do you think the C-section's happening today? And I said, mm, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I, and, and we were like, section by this afternoon. Of course she's going to have a C-section. Why wouldn't she have a C-section? We've literally set the stage for a perfect scenario in which someone would need to have a C-section. Her, her body is not doing anything natural, normal that it should be doing. And this poor little baby has been thrust into something that it it wasn't even ready for ready to do. It wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. So that afternoon, C-section, and she then was told that she had a C-section because her pubic bone was in the way. And that baby would have never made it down because of her pubic bone. Okay. So I, I, don't, I don't know how daft you have to be 
to believe any of that. But we're talking if there's a daft scale, it, it, like off, off of it. Because I didn't have my pubic bone removed before I had my baby. In fact, I don't know any women that have had their pubic bone removed before their baby. So what are, how, how are we all having these babies with these pubic bones still in place if her pubic bone was in the way? And then told the mother that this was such a dire consequence, dire circumstances, we, we, we had to get that baby out. That is now her story. That's now her story as this birthing, as this woman who gave birth, I had to get this baby out. They, they told me that they had to do this C-section. That's now her story. And that's now this baby's story. That's now this baby's story is that, oh, well, you would have died if they wouldn't have done a C-section. Um... So go ahead and ask where the trauma starts. Like day one, birth, before birth. When we give ourselves to this system who will gaslight us and lie and tell us that our pubic bones were in the way. I literally cannot. Now, Conversely, my bestie sister, baby number two, baby number one, horrible hyperemesis. If you don't know what it is, it's where you're barfing literally all the time, all the time. It's a real thing. It's legit. Women get it. They're barfing constantly. It's like morning sickness, like uh, on a gazillion. She had it with her first and she's had it with her second. Now, she did have to have some medical interventions for the hyperemesis, right? When you're vomiting and you're constantly vomiting, you will get dehydrated both, you know, volume wise as well as metabolic wise. So you want to make sure that your electrolytes are still in tune, that you've got enough fluid volume, like all of those things. So her interventions. Through a normal pregnancy, she had traditional conception and everything was checking out with baby. Mom is just puking her brains out all the time, right? So our medical intervention during the pregnancy phase was IVs, electrolytes, things of that nature. So you have, you know, mom A that had this regular kind of normal pregnancy end up in this birth that was just... I mean, I would consider it traumatic. And then you have mom B over here who has sort of this pregnancy that could be viewed as traumatic. And granted, it was baby number two, so she knew sort of what she potentially could be getting into. But despite all of that, she chose to have a midwife, have baby at home, 
in a birthing tub. And it was perfect. And it was beautiful. And it was, you know, in, again, the comfort of her home. And her husband was there. And she was able to have a labor because she went into labor, not an artificial labor, not an induction. She allowed her body to go through this natural, normal process. And she labored. She actually labored. And this is just something else that I want to touch on really quickly about being in the hospital and giving birth. And this is something that I witnessed firsthand as well. Labor and delivery nurses should no longer be called labor and delivery nurses. The ones that I've met, the experiences of the moms that I have, they are not educated about how to labor with a woman. They think that laboring with a woman is pushing their knees back and telling them to bear down like they're having a bowel movement to push that baby out because they can't feel anything because they have an epidural. That's not laboring with a woman. That is not being an assistive partner with that woman going through the labor experience, the laborious task of getting that baby to move down through the birth canal. So the nurses for mom A slapped her on a monitor, hooked her up to an IV with medication, you know, held her back curved while they stuck the epidural in and then went back out to the nurse's station. And mom B labored with the assistance of a midwife at home who is, you know, trained and dedicated to this process of moving us through the natural God-given abilities that we have as women. And her birth was flawless and seamless. And now the picture that I hope that that sort of paints for you is that it's almost as if we run into more problems when we participate in the medical interventions. They don't lend themselves always to uh, the best particular outcome. Now, some would probably argue, well, the best particular outcome is a healthy baby and a healthy mom. And I agree wholeheartedly. But what type of trauma and what type of scarring and what type of fear has transpired getting us from point A to B in order to, quote unquote, make sure that mom and baby are healthy. As pregnant women, we are absolutely treated like it is a dysfunction, like it is a problem. It is like it is a disease process and that somehow we are incapable of going through the process, the pregnancy, 
the labor, the delivery without these wild rules, regulations, interventions, you know, nonsensical things done by the medical establishment. And the power that is robbed through that process carries over then, I believe, into sort of all phases, right? We've given our power to our, our OBGYN who either, you know, sends us for a C-section or just pops in the room at the last minute when you're ready to push. We give them that power. And then we're so unsure of what to do because nobody's really educated us about breastfeeding or, you know, peri care or any of those wild things that come after you have this baby. And then the next phase of that is your pediatrician. And then all of the decisions that you may do counter to your instincts, counter to what you really think, you're not educated, you're certainly not given informed consent. It is a really interesting concept to think about giving up so much of our own personal power and then sort of handing these children over to the system and how that perpetuates and how it creates this sort of lifelong attachment to this kind of monster entity that is the healthcare system. So if you're at all maybe inspired or intrigued or curious or, you know, you have questions, of course you can email nursesoutloud at gmail.com. But we don't have to stay stuck in this modality. I've talked so many times on this show about doing what we can do individually to make sure that we can remove ourselves as much as possible, right? Accidents happen. There's always maybe something that you would need a skilled medical professional for. But my bestie is a perfect example of that. She's a perfect example of how to inform yourself arm yourself with knowledge and make incredibly calculated decisions on how to remove yourself from that system and not participate. Do it different than you did before and acknowledge that what you did before was okay for that time. That's what I knew what I thought I needed to do. And then also celebrate the fact that you're the type of human being that can learn and grow and educate yourself and be bold enough to make a different decision next time. I'm really proud of her.
If you couldn't tell, I'm real proud of her. And I think that we all need to be proud of ourselves when we make really big decisions like that because those decisions are the ones that ultimately lead us down a much clearer path and a much more autonomous path and a much more sovereign path, which is what I would hope all of us would be striving to do at this stage of the game, whether it be the medical system, the political system, the education system, the judicial system, whatever system it is. We should all be doing what we can do to maintain ultimate sovereignty. And with that, that is all the time we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses as we walk you through all of these hot topics. We will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily where no topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time